You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Morning, gang. How are you doing? Everybody good? You all ready for fall? Who are the cold weather loving people? Who showed up wearing your North Face jacket this morning? Because you're like, what happened? It's like cold. I saw a few of you. Hey, it's that time of year where things start to change on the Palouse in a cool and good way, and winter is right around the corner. So uh, now is a good time, if you're new to this whole ice thing, to go to a parking lot and practice driving out of control. You will need that skill in the very near future. All right? Uh, Make sure you look who's around first. Hey, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're starting a new series, and this series is about uh, our vision as a church. And so it's a kind of a back-to-basics, fundamentals-type series. We're going to spend several weeks on it. We want to make sure that as a team, we're on the same page, going the same direction, using the same place, so to speak. And so uh, for us... We have a a clear vision as a church. It's the same now as it has been since the beginning. Everybody here should probably be familiar with it unless you're super brand new. But our vision as a church is to reach the world for Jesus. That was pretty good. Eight of you. Come on. Our goal, our mission as a church, our vision as a church is to reach the world for Jesus. That was amazing. Okay, I won't make you do it again. That was so good. You're out in two. Good job, team. So we're all about reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. And over the years, how we've said that or described it, we've used some different kind of phrasing to weave in ways to say the same thing to help different people connect with it and understand it. We've said things like, we're all about helping people move from brokenness to wholeness. Or another way that we say it sometimes is that we're all about, um, we really care about helping people restore what sin has broken in their lives. Like those are just different ways that we try to say the same thing to help people understand our vision as a church. Like we are about reaching people for Jesus one person at a time. And no matter how we say it, it's all rooted in Jesus's command for us to go and make disciples. It's a passage that a lot of us are super familiar with from Matthew 28. It's in your notes, and it's gonna be up here on the screen. Let's look at it together real quick. I'm gonna make sure we're on the same page. Matthew 28 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the, the heart, the, the heartbeat of our vision, the, the, the why behind why we're all about reaching people for Jesus, because it's in line with Jesus's command for us to go and make disciples. Now, one of the things that happened early on in the history of our church, not just real life on the Palouse history, but rewind even back before that, when Aaron and Jim were planting the church in Post Falls, coming up on about 20 years ago now, they had been involved in other churches, and some of the other leadership that was a part of that early church plant had been involved in various churches. And one of the things they became quickly aware of is that 
a lot of Christians and a lot of churches care about discipleship, but talk about a disciple or making disciples very differently. They use different language, a lot like a football team where the whole team comes back to the huddle to get the play, but every player is trying to describe the play with different words and different descriptions. Even though it may be the exact same play, everybody's kind of explaining it in their own way, and it's super confusing. So early on as a church, Jim and Aaron decided we really need to define what a disciple is. If this is what we're called to, if we're called to make disciples, baptize them, like, then, then we really need to make sure we're on the same page. When we say at our church, what is a disciple, we need to know what a disciple is. And for us as a church, they decided like there's, there's many ways you could describe a disciple or define a disciple. We're not trying to say this is the only way or even the perfect way. But for us, when we say disciple, we want people to think this. And we got the definition from Matthew 419. It goes like this. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So from this passage, we get three distinct things that define a disciple. First of all, a disciple is somebody who is following Christ, right? They hear the call of Jesus to come and follow them, and they respond. They are following Christ. That's the first marker of a disciple. A disciple is also someone who is being changed by Christ. They're being changed, transformed into something else. They're not doing the changing. God is at work in their life, changing them to be more like him. And lastly, they're on mission with Christ. So they're, they're being sent by him on mission to become fishers of men. So for us as a church, our vision is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. It's rooted in Jesus's command to make disciples in Matthew 28. And we describe and define a disciple as someone who is following Christ being changed by Christ, and on mission with Christ. We on the same page? All of that leads up to what we're going to talk about in this series for the next several weeks. We're going to talk about our purposes as a church. Our purposes is another way to say it is our strategy, the how-to. Like if this is what we're all about, then for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how we want to accomplish it. Our purpose is, if you've been to 101, you're familiar with them because we talk about them a bunch in the 101 class. If you haven't been to 101, you need to go to 101 because here's the deal. We really want you on our team. We want you to be a part of helping us accomplish this vision. And in order for you to show up in the huddle and have us hear the same plays and know what we're talking about, you need to go to that class and understand who we are as a church, how we speak, what language we use, when we say something, what do we mean, what do we agree on, what do we agree to disagree on, like all of that is fleshed out in that 101 class. So if you haven't been and you want to be a part of our team, that's the place to go, okay? Even if you haven't been to 101, everybody, unless maybe today, I'll, give you, I'll let you off the hook today as your first day. Everybody else should be familiar with the purposes of our church. Because whether or not you realize it, you actually walk by them every Sunday when you come to church. I know, everybody probably thought that I put the cool signs out front. Actually, Derek did it way before me. Everybody probably thought we kept the cool signs out front because like we're awesome at decorating. 
And you should know that I can't match my own clothes, so there's no way I'm good at decorating. It has nothing to do with looking cool or trying to be trendy. We put these out front because they describe what we're about as a church. This is the how we accomplish our vision as a church. They're so important that we literally stand them by the front door every Sunday so that you see them when you leave and you see them when you come. Our four purposes are sharing Christ with those who are far from him, connecting God to people, uh, connecting people to God and each other, ministering to the people in the church and the community, and then lastly, and very importantly, discipling people to become disciples who can make disciples, who can make disciples, who can make disciples. You tracking with me? This is the how. This is what we're about in accomplishing our vision as a church. These four purposes describe how we want to get it done as a team. Okay? Today we're going to camp out and spend a little bit of time talking about just that first one, that share. But before we do that, before we, we'll get into it in a second, but before we do that, I want to share a story with you. And I want to share a story with you for a really specific reason. I want to share a story with you that helps each and every one of you personally understand your part in this call to make disciples. What is your responsibility on this team to accomplish this vision to reach people for Christ? And if you're a part of our team here, you do have a part to play. And I'm not saying that to be controlling or demanding or manipulative or anything like that. Like, that is not as all the heart behind it. But at the, 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 the truth is, it is true that you have a part to play in making disciples. So as I tell you this story, I want you to really tune in and listen. For you personally, not thinking church global, not thinking church on the Palouse, not thinking this campus, thinking for you personally. Listen in this story and hear, what is your part? And I'm going to do this in a different way. Normally we would always jump up and read the text and go word for word. We want to honor God's word and, and keep it as sacred and important, which it is. But today I want to do something a little bit different with you. I want to model for you what you would experience if you were in a home group. If you're in a home group, this should look pretty familiar to you. If you haven't been in a home group as a part of our church, the way that we share God's word is by telling it like a story. And then we get back into the Bible and we break it down and we work our way through the text. But we tell it as a story because people remember stories. Right? So I'm going to share it with you just like we would if we were in a home group. So... Well, what's going to happen is I'm going to be the guy that's doing the story this week. And so I jump down in my sweet leather recliner at my host home's house and whoever's you know, hosting the group. Hopefully by now we've had coffee and some sort of sugar-induced coma, uh, snacks or something happening. If your home group, uh, normally to the point by you sit down, you haven't had some sort of sweets or food, start shopping for a new home group. You need or uh, food, food, sweets, junk food, coffee, tea, Coke, something. 
So you have some fun, you relax, you get into the stuff, you start to get to the part where you're getting ready to share the story. And what you do is the person that's facilitating will just say, hey, there's some things leading up to this story that I need you to know. And the cool part about this is you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to have every single ounce of a whole chapter memorized or anything. You can make yourself a cheat sheet like this one. And you can jot down some bullet points to make it simple to help you set up the story before you tell it. So I would go like this. If you guys were in my home group, we're probably about due to branch. Um, living room's getting full. So uh, the story that I'm going to tell you guys is from John chapter 11. And there's some things that I need you to know before I get into the story. So here's some things to help set the stage, okay? The first thing that's going on is Lazarus is sick. We learn that there's a guy named Lazarus. He's really sick. He's from Bethany, and he is a brother of Mary and Martha. Another thing we learn before the story starts is that Jesus tells everybody there, his disciples and the other people that are around him, not to worry about this sickness because it's not going to end in death. He actually tells them something sort of weird. He says it's going to end with God being glorified and God's son being glorified, which if your brother's on his deathbed, it's a strange thing to hear, right? Then something else happens. Jesus tells his disciples, let's head out to Judea. A little bit like us, finding out that one of our best friends is on his deathbed in Pullman, and we say, hey, you guys want to go over to Troy for a while? Sort of a random thing to do. And his disciples are like, we don't want to go to Judea because everybody there wants to kill you. Like there's this weird conversation going on. And somewhere along the way to Judea, Jesus gets a telegram from God to notify him that Lazarus has died. And the way that he tells his guys with him that Lazarus has died is it's kind of obscure. He just kind of pops off. I, they must be just walking along down the way and Jesus sort of pops off and says, oh, this just in, breaking news, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And his guys are like, whew, that's good because when you're sick, rest is nice. And Jesus is like, I got to break down everything for these guys. Like sleep, dirt nap, like the permanent one. Like he's dead, stopped breathing. And so they're, they're, they're sort of like, wait a minute. Didn't you just tell us he wasn't going to die? Like what's going on? He's like, all right, let's go back to Bethany. And so they turn around and book it back to Bethany. That's all the stuff that's going on before this story that I'm about to tell you. Okay? And when you're in a home group, when we tell the story, we ask that you put your Bible away, you put your phone away, <clears throat> you put your notes away and all that stuff. And during the story, you actually just tune in and really give your full listening attention, listening with your eyes and your ears. And then after the story, we'll get out our Bibles and we'll dig into God's word and we'll make sure we're talking about the right stuff. But during the story, when someone's sharing the story, you do like you guys are going to do right now. You just set your stuff down and you get on the front of your seat and you just lean in like you guys are going to do right now because you love me. You lean in to listen to this story. And the story starts off in John chapter 11, verse 30. It says that Jesus stopped short of going into the town. He stayed outside of the village and he went to a spot where he met Martha. And they stopped and stayed there. And then in town, in Bethany, was Mary. And Mary was grieving and weeping. Crocodile tears. 
And the people that were around her were grieving and mourning with her at the loss of her brother. And all of a sudden, she just gets up and hastily takes off and leaves. And they think, well, she must be going out to the grave to go and mourn where her brother has been married. So they follow her out. And on her way out, she meets up with where Jesus is. And, it's, and when she meets Jesus, she falls down at his feet. And she just is crying like just muddy, dirty tears, and she is overwhelmed, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus is just becoming just personally overwhelmed with the sorrow that's going on. He looks at her, and he sees her crying and the sadness, and he looks around at the people that had followed her out and, and how they're mourning and grieving with her, and he is just like stirred to this like righteous anger, He's worked up inside, like deeply troubled and bothered at what he's seeing and the sorrow that he's seeing in these people's eyes. And he says, where, where have you laid him? Where's the tomb? And they say, follow us. We'll take you to show you where he's at. And, and as he gets over to the tomb, some of the other people that were watching, they said, wait a minute, wasn't this the guy that had healed a blind man? Couldn't he have stopped this man from being killed, if he, or you know, from dying if he didn't want him to? And Jesus gets close to the tomb and he does something. He stops what he's doing amongst all these mourning and grieving people and he looks up to heaven. And he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, thank you that you hear me. Thank you that you always hear me. I'm actually saying this out loud to you for the benefit of all the people that can hear me so that they know that you hear me and that they'll believe that you sent me here right now for this reason. And then he goes, where's the tomb? I want you to roll the stone away and open the tomb. And Martha comes rushing up and says, no, 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 you don't understand. Like it's been four days. It's gonna stink. Like this isn't gonna be a pretty thing. And he says, don't you remember that I told you that you would see God glorified if you would just believe? And he looks up and he, he, he says, roll away the stone. And they open the tomb and they roll the stone away. And then Jesus shouts into the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. And this miraculous thing happens. A dead man stands up and walks out of his grave. He's standing there, wrapped, bound at the feet in grave clothes, hands bound with cloth, his face covered with a burial wrapping and his head and eyes covered. And Jesus says, go unwrap him and set him free. That's the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead from John chapter 11. If you're in a home group, you would start to go back into God's word, into the scripture, and to rebuild it and see if there was anything forgotten or mistakes made, and you would go walk through that process. Right now, what I want you to do is I want you to think about something. Something that's a really profound question, and it's a really important question for you personally, and it's a really important question for us as a team, as a church. Who did Jesus tell to go and take off the grave clothes? Friends and family, who else? Jesus. 
Who was there? His sisters were there. Who else was there? His disciples were there. Who else were, do you think was there? A bunch of people from the community that had followed her out that were mourning with her. Like there was this crowd of people that loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus and were broken and hurting with them and they were just regular people that Jesus gave this honor and blessing and beautiful opportunity to, to go and be a part of like cleaning this guy up that had just come back to life. For us as a church, this is the heart behind our vision to reach people for Jesus one person at a time. Like, this is why we want to share Christ with people who are far from God. This is like, this is the honor and blessing that we get to be Christians and partner with Christ in what he is doing in people's lives. Jesus has the power to raise people from the dead, but then says to us, hey, you want to be a part of this? Get in there. Let's help this guy get free and learn how to walk in a new life as a kingdom citizen. He invites us to help people take their grave clothes off. To unwrap the windings of sin and death and the junk that has hindered them and stops them from being able to move away from the tomb into this new life. When we say we're about reaching people for Christ, it's that kind of picture that we need to have in our mind. That's the opportunity that we get to be a part of, the, the partnering that we get to have with Christ. Now, when we start talking about this first purpose, sharing Christ with people, right? Like we start talking about Sharing Christ with people who are far from God. We start talking about evangelism is what sort of comes to mind. And when you start talking about that, people start to get a little anxiety building up. Like you start to think about, ooh, I'm not the kind of person that can go talk to anybody like that. That's not my thing. I'm not the guy on the street corner. I'm not the guy that preaches on Sunday. I'm really not that good at making God conversations. And I'll get to you in a minute. But a lot of people are really good and gifted and do a great job of having God conversations. There are people that are like, maybe a way to describe it would be as like hardwired for evangelism. Like they're, they're knit together in their mother's womb, made by God to be able to share the gospel. Like they can take any conversation and turn it into a God conversation in a really good way that's not creepy or weird, that makes people feel comfortable and you're just sitting there going like, how did they do that? That was amazing. Like, I would have never thought of how they weave that all together. And the people that they talk with are like receptive. Some people are wired to share the gospel, which shouldn't surprise us, right? Paul says that's the way Jesus lined it up. Take a look at this from Ephesians 4. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, right? Like the reality is that God did make some people to be evangelists. Like some people are gifted by God to be able to just put the gospel out there anywhere, any place, anytime. And they're just blessed in that way. For the rest of us, 
it can sort of feel like, man, I'm no, I don't have that skill, so I'm less than. Here's what you need to hear. It couldn't be more untrue. Some people are gifted by God to share the gospel in amazing ways, and some people are different. And it's not at all about more important or less important or greater or lesser. It's just different and made different by God and good by God. Like the rest of us still have the same call to share the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize, to help people learn how to unwrap their grave clothes and to walk through that stuff with them, through the mess with them. We still have that same call to make disciples, but the way we evangelize is maybe a little less obvious, but not at all less important. The way the rest of us need to learn to think is we need to learn to realize that like our evangelism, the way we share Christ is gonna be a lot more of like lifestyle evangelism than it is hardwired, amazing gospel evangelists. And so as a lifestyle evangelist, you start to learn how to think about sharing your life with people. Like initially, like it's, it would be weird to turn that into a God conversation. I don't even know that person. So first, maybe I should just get to know the person. Maybe I should notice them and say hi. Maybe I should visit with them a little bit or look for areas that we have an interest or common. Maybe we should just try and connect. Maybe I should invite them into something that I'm already doing so that we can get to know each other a little bit. And then in, and those relationships where you do have some relationship and you're connected and you do know each other a little bit, you start to look for ways to share what God is revealing to you in your life. What is God teaching you? What is he showing you? What are you learning? What has church meant to you? How was worship this week? What have uh, you been learning and, as you've been journaling and reading and studying? Like You just share what God's doing in your life and what you're learning about him. You don't try to be more than you are. You just be who God made you to be and share what God's up to in your life. And you start to share the habits and the how you're getting to know him. And, and you just start to do life with people and share Christ with them in a way that isn't like the hardwired evangelist, but it's no less important or valuable. Um, I want to tell you a story real quick about somebody in our church. I, I honestly thinking about this, had seriously like 30, 40 stories like that readily available from people in our church in just the last year that I've been here, which is awesome. Like this is the world's best problem to have to go, which story do I tell about somebody actually like walking this out in a real and practical way? Because there are so many and there are so many of you that really are all about sharing Christ in a regular lifestyle way, right? There's a cool story. There's some people in our church named uh, Sue and Joe Watson, and a lot of you guys know them, and they are awesome. They are as on mission about sharing Jesus and on board with our church and our purposes and who we are. Like, they're, they are an all-in couple, like there are lots of at our church, which is really cool. There's another gal named Sherry Bridges, who's another lady that is all-in for Jesus and all-in to be a part of the team here at Real Life something really cool happened over this last year. Sherry and Sue and Joe, unbeknownst to each other, in two different parts of town at two different times, started actually loving and caring about this same couple. 
and had no knowledge of each other, knowing that each of them knew this couple. Sherry started to know him because she lived in an apartment near him and met him and saw that they had this beautiful baby little boy that had these big bright eyes. And she started doing the like, just loving on the kid and seeing if they needed help and connecting with him and caring about him. She shares with her faith with anybody she ever meets. She just can't help but get Jesus on you if you're around her. She loves the Lord and it comes out of her no matter what. And she starts cheering with these people and they're sort of thinking about church but not thinking about church. And the couple who gave me permission to share this stuff with you have autism and they have a really difficult past and they're unique. And coming to church and crowds and different stuff is not the easiest thing for them. And there's a, it's a, a big mixed bag of whether or not they want to be a part of things like that. And she just starts loving on them and meeting them where they're at and caring about them. Unbeknownst to her, Sue happens to get to know these people in a totally different way. They walk around town. If you've been in Pullman for more than a week, you've probably seen them. They have to go through pairs of shoes every month. They walk and walk and walk. I mean, they've got to be, have like the best cardio in the world. They seriously, they have their little dude in a stroller and every day they walk all over town. And they're the sweetest, most loving, brightest, smiled people you could ever stumble across. And Sue sees them walking and she goes, I really would like to know those people. And you know what sparked in her mind the thing that got her thinking? She thought, I wonder what they need. I wonder if they could use any help. Sue volunteers in our benevolence department, helps people in town that need help. Makes sense, she thinks that way. So she stops by one day, pulls her van over, gets out of her van, and says, hey, I'm a lady in a van that sees you walking, and I just wanted to say hi. How are you guys doing? And she just strikes up a conversation with him. And she's like, I see you guys all the time, and you're always smiling. I was just curious. Like, what's your story? Do you guys need anything? Like, amazing. Simple. And out of that conversation, they start to talk, and the benevolence department throws them a baby shower. And a bunch of people in our church behind the scenes start to get together, loving on this cool little family that, that's not the normal, regular Joe family. They've got stuff. And, and they start to just love on them and invite them in. And Joe and Sue start adjusting their life. And instead of driving one car to church, because that's easy, they drive two so that she can pick people up and make sure that they get a ride here and get a ride home. And Joe drives something else home. And they adjust their life and what they're about to help these people come and be a part of our family. And the guy is a Christian and he's growing in his walk with God. He's been coming like the last eight months. They're rarely ever not here. And he's been growing in his walk with God and he's been helping his wife learn about Jesus. And she's having conversations with Sue about getting baptized. Their little dude is in children's ministry, getting loved on and cared for and shared the gospel with all the time. And they're just like, couldn't be more. He sent me stuff last night or the last couple days as I was asking him about permission to share this or not. And he just kept going on and on about how much of an impact God has had in their life through the people in this church and how comfortable people have made him feel and how awesome it was that God reached out to them through regular people. You guys, that's lifestyle evangelism. That's not hardwired evangelists. She didn't pop out and give him a three-point gospel presentation. She just cared. She just noticed somebody. She just took the time to care. 
we start talking about evangelism and sharing our faith and stuff, inevitably what always seems to happen is the Moses effect. We start to get all in our mind all of the reasons why we are not the right guy for the job, right? I am not the right woman for the job. I'm not the right guy for the job. Surely there must be somebody better that could talk to that person or get to be friends with that person or help that person. What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? What if they uh, are different than me and I don't know how to connect with them? Or like we go through all of our stupid what ifs. All the reasons why maybe there'd be somebody better to share but as we wrap up this morning, I want to kind of wrap up with a, a different set of questions. You're going to need a pen and a paper. Because my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is about to put some stuff in your head that you need to write down. Not to get too weird on you, but you'll see what I mean here in a second. Here's what I want you to think about. Instead of leaving here, hearing this message and thinking of the reasons why it's hard for you to share your faith or why you're not the right person to do this or that or that, I want you to think about these questions. Who shared with you about Jesus? Who talked with you about their faith? that helped spark your curiosity? Who talked with you about forgiveness and helped you learn and understand what forgiveness is? Who talked with you about the Bible? Who was the first person that helped you understand what a chapter and a verse was? and that there was testaments. Somebody did. Now let's step it up a notch. If you have experienced resurrection, salvation, and Jesus has helped raise you from the dead like Lazarus, and you are walking a new life with Christ, who was there in the beginning when you stunk and helped you start taking your grave clothes off? When you think about the names that are coming to mind, is God's helping you remember people that have been pivotal, critical people that have loved you and cared about you and done these things for you? As you start thinking about those people, what's so special about them? probably if you look at your list around this room, it's a bunch of regular people that just took the time to care for you. That just took the time to stop on the right side of the road and say, hey, what's up with you? I want you to think and ask God to help bring people to your mind like who could you share Christ with? Who could you share your faith with? Who could you talk with about forgiveness? Who could you talk with about what God's doing in your life? Who do you know that needs some help taking their grave clothes off? If God puts a, a name in your mind or somebody pops in your head, 
don't lose it. Write them down. It's not coming up for no reason. It's big stuff. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be at that crowd of people that were weeping and, and mourning and heartbroken with, with Mary and Martha at Lazarus's death, four days in the grave, like just the grieving that would have been going on and to be a part of that crowd that witnessed the stone roll away and a dead man walk out. And to have the blessing and the honor to see Jesus who raised him from the dead and called him back to life to look to anybody there that was willing and say, hey, I'd like you to help be a part of this guy getting cleaned up. Get in there and get some. There are people today in our community that are coming to new life that need our help taking their grave clothes off. And Jesus is inviting us to get in there and get stinky and get messy and help people figure out how to be kingdom citizens. For us as a church, this is the church that we want to be. This is the kind of Christians that we want to be. This is the kind of team we want to have at Real Life on the Palouse. We're going to move to our time of communion. And so the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass those buckets and you can drop your connection cards or tithe an offering in those. And then right after that, they're going to pass out the communion trays. And at Real Life, it's important to remember, and if you're new with us, please hear this. We have what we call an open table when it comes to communion. That means that anybody who wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is welcome to have communion with us. We would love you to celebrate with us, your family. Okay? Hold on to the elements when they get passed out, and we're going to take them uh, together in a few minutes. So... While that stuff's getting passed out, let's take a look at some implications. They're in your notes. So if you're a note taker and something comes to mind, have them handy. Uh, and we're going to have them up on screen. Let's take a look at those together. The first one is this. As followers of Jesus, we have to see our primary role as making disciples of the people around us. When you think about it, if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you realize, do you acknowledge, are you aware of this idea that like is your primary purpose to help people around you follow Christ? Talk with the Lord and chew on that one. Next one. That begins with a commitment to dealing with our own grave clothes and being willing to stay connected to others as they deal with theirs. Here's the truth. If we're still walking around with everything wrapped up and we've got the tanglings of sin and our old life still all around us trying to walk out in this new life and we're a mess and we keep falling back in the tomb, like you need to get connected with other people. Invite people in to help you where you're at. Get plugged into a home group. Get plugged into a Genesis process group to dig through some of, if you've got harder things in your life that, that you need to work through. Get involved with a good Christian counselor if there's really difficult stuff that you need help with. But, but get help. Don't keep bumping into things. And for those of us that can see the way, man, get, get messy and help people take their stuff off. Next one, 
We cannot start a spiritual battle in someone's life and then give them no tools to fight that battle, right? As we share Christ with people and we introduce them to the, the risen Savior that's changed our lives and we, we invite them to, to learn about what it might be like to live a resurrected life with Christ as their Savior, we don't just say, it's amazing and awesome, sweet, see you later, like, come out, Lazarus, cool, glad you're, glad you're out, see ya, like, I'm gonna be over here at the mall, right? We gotta walk with people as we introduce them and invite them to follow Christ. Last one. For some people, sharing Christ with others is a supernatural gift, and for others, sharing Christ shows up in how we live our lives in front of the people around us. Some people can turn every conversation into a God conversation, and some people are like Sherry and Sue and Joe who just live their lives in a way that Jesus shows up. He's a part of what they do and who they are. Every week we get together and we get to remember that we have a God that resurrects dead people. We get to remember that we have a savior that invites us to be a part of this amazing, awesome thing to get to help people learn how to walk in freedom from sin. And he actually wants our help with it. And every week we get together and we take communion. We remember that we have that because of what he did for us on the cross. We remember that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks for it. And he says, as often as we get together, let's eat this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant, which was his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So often as we get together, let's drink this in remembrance of him. In just a minute, we're going to have some folks that are going to go to the sides and just be available to pray with you. If there's names that came up that you really want to pray about, um, sharing your faith with, sharing Christ with, if there's something that's stirred in your heart that you want prayer about, please go and pray with somebody. But whether you go and pray or not, we would love for you to finish with us. Let's worship together before we go. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com. 